0: Welcome to the Better Clinician Podcast with myself, Ben Cormack, and also Adam Meekins. The Better Clinician Project brings you high-quality education at a ridiculously low price. This podcast will bring you topics that are relevant to modern clinical practice, all done with a bit of fun and humour. Nothing in this podcast constitutes medical advice. Hey BC peers, we are back for another monthly segment for Thoughtful Thursday, where we get to unleash our unbridled opinion um for your deep and searching questions from the bcp uh membership but firstly how are you mr meekins
1: yeah i am doing well thanks got back from a a weekend of traveling in austria which was uh good teaching some very keen and motivated austrian physios all things in and around painful shoulders you've been a little bit further afield i understand
0: Yeah, I was in the Big Apple, the NYC, the throbbing metropolis, um, which, of course, is always great. But, um, you know, the whole kind
1: of travelling, teaching,
0: working definitely leaves you feeling a little fatigued.
1: Well, I think this leads on nicely, perhaps, to one of the questions that our BCP uh, members has asked us for this month's Thoughtful Thursday, because we're talking about travelling and teaching around the world and some of the... Good things about it. So why don't we dive on to the question that Andrew has asked. What is our favourite part slash enjoyment in teaching around the world? What do you enjoy about teaching all over the globe, Benny Boo Boo?
0: Well, I think for me, you know, it's a real opportunity. I think most people would agree getting the opportunity to travel and see the world and meet different people of different backgrounds, different cultures, you know, different professions often as well um it is it's a blessing isn't it it's bloody tiring it's a real ball ache sometimes but i think you have to look at the kind of overall positive Would lots of people like that opportunity so i'd have to say i think it's uh, you know it's more of a blessing than it is a curse
1: yeah i always say i love the teaching i love the meeting people buying a fan of the travelling the actual getting there and getting okay. getting get there and getting back can be a bit of a ball ache you know trying to find a flight on a sunday evening hanging oh. around hanging around in an airport praying that there's no delays or cancellations so you can get back at a roughly decent hour to be able to get some sleep ready for monday morning when you got to go to work in the clinic i that's the bit i don't enjoy at all but i do as you say feel very fortunate to be able to go around the world and impart my opinions and views and knowledge yeah. onto people and uh, for them to listen and uh, absorb that. I always feel quite humbled and flattered that I'm allowed to carry on doing that. And I've been doing that for the last 10 years or so. So yeah, long may it continue.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's the side of it. People maybe don't see like the other night I was coming back from Denmark, flight got delayed. I didn't get home till about two 15 in the morning um, and you do think to yourself, is this fucking worth it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> at that moment, on reflection, of course it is. Yeah. Um, but at that moment in time, it when I was be. on the motorway, you know, there was a there was a closure on the motorway. I couldn't get where I needed to get to. Horror show, did I just think what I wouldn't do sometimes, you know, just to maybe have a little bit more stable environment. But, you know, th- this is life, isn't it? There's no- nothing perfect in this.
1: No, absolutely. But I can always guarantee that one once on a, on a course or a trip, when when something starts to unravel, once one thing goes wrong, you normally know it leads on to something else going wrong. So that's the bit, that's almost like a downward spiral I found. if If nothing goes wrong or not too many things go wrong, you're normally going to have a good trip. But if you get one delay or one complication, then you tend to find it's going to be happening for the rest of the trip. So you just have to suck it up and get through it.
0: But have you noticed what we've both done as the miserable old boys that we are? Andrew has asked us, what's your favourite part, your enjoyment? <laughs> and
1: we have both moaned. Well, we did say that. We said, we said we'd we enjoy meeting people and, and, and being able and fortunate to impart yeah. our views and opinions to others because not everybody gets the opportunity to do that. Well, I suppose they do on social media. Now, everybody's got an opinion that they can share with the world. But to be able to do that in a bit more of an intimate uh, way, I find, you know, it's very privileged So. No, I, uh, I really do enjoy the teaching. I do like to have these discussions and debates but I had an interesting question actually uh, sent to me on social media about my teaching I'm teaching in a place in Australia that let's just say is known for some rather outdated thinking and posts on social media so somebody piped up and said here Meekins why are you teaching at this place where these individuals think this and they do all this sort of outdated stuff this isn't very good is it you should be teaching elsewhere and I said why why should I be only teaching to people with like-minded views and opinions oh, to me? Why, yeah. why can't I go and teach at places that do have different views and opinions than what I do? Why is why is that seen as a bad thing? And I, I don't think it is. I do sometimes find, you know, I am talking a lot to already a converted audience. Yeah. People are roughly thinking along the same lines as me. There's always a bit of debate and discussion around the details and the nuance, but in general, most people go on courses and because they've checked it out and they've seen whether it fits their biases and it's something they want to go and yeah. do. I would like to also do courses and teach to people that think completely different and and see how that goes, but very rarely does that happen.
0: Well, I think, yeah, you you get the problem of, you know, that we all probably need to be accepting of... Look, the the long and the short of it is there is so many different opinions, even on the same piece of research, or even on how that fits into the research base. Um, And I do think we have to be reasonably accepting of other people's opinions. This is something that always gets me on social media. You know, I find some characters who, you know, very much if an opinion is given... Uh, given that doesn't match their opinion, like all hell breaks loose. You know what I mean? There's no, it's it's like, no, you know, this is wrong. And actually, you know, I'm quite accepting that there are lots of different opinions. I certainly have my own opinion, and I can make a decent argument from it. Um, But all I will say is that it's a privilege to share my opinions, and some other people who are very opinionated don't get the privilege to share their opinions, except when they want to give them themselves. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Good. All right. Well, thanks for that question, Andrew. Hopefully that's given you uh, some of our answers about the teaching around the globe. Uh, Next question, I think, should we go with Catelyn or Caitlin's one?
0: Yeah, let's go. And uh, Caitlin is asking, she's used some good words here. She said, lately, I've been seeing a whole lot of content with really specific exercises in different positions with straps and other accoutrements, which I think is French. And then I ask myself, am I stupid and missing something or is there actually a point to these? Maybe something about when
1: complexity in an exercise is worth it or not. Yeah, great question. And it's uh, it is something that I also see quite a lot as well. You know, I do see people overcomplicating and adding lots of gadgets and gimmicks to corrective exercises and rehabilitation. And, and I think there's a reason for that, because I do think complexity sells. I do think people buy into things that appear to be a little bit more fancy and complicated because they believe, you know, that they are more likely to be skilled and specialized and specific. So I think there is an element of that, and I think, you know, that's very appealing not only to patients but also to therapists as well because it it appeases our inferiority complexes that we all have as therapists. You know, we don't like to to try and keep things simple and straightforward because it sometimes, as say, makes us feel a little bit stupid or inferior to those that like to overcomplicate and... Uh, Make things a bit more complex than it really needs to be. So I think there's a very, uh, say, strong urge to go down that pathway. But no, Caitlin, I don't think a lot of the time these things are necessary or needed because we know that exercise as a mediator for various different things, pain and stiffness, is you know, it's it's got lots of different alternative hypotheses as to how it helps people feel better. So. The the accoutrements and the attachments and the straps and all these sort of things that people like to wrap around people as they're doing their exercises, I just think are uh, sometimes just a novel stimulus. They just create a little bit of extra buy-in and work on these psychosocial, psychological variables rather than yeah. anything physical.
0: I think that's a great point from Adam is, you know, mostly I, I think what people are going for is complexity from a, a, a mechanical sense so that the bands and the seat belts or whatever you want to call them provide kind of a mechanical load to the joint and you're getting that kind of roll and glide and arthrokinematics, we don't know that that's happening. But there's probably a strong possibility that, you know, the, the placebo effect or contextual effects really are happening with all of these, as you put it, accoutrements. Um, So I think it probably feeds very well into how exercise for pain probably works, which is probably more contextual than anything. But it does it from a kind of a mechanical complexity that I think would probably be um, fairly outdated thinking. And I still don't know if I, you know, I still don't know if these things actually provide this distraction Uh, Force to a joint that's proposed i can imagine you compress a lot of fat you compress a lot of skin whether that actually creates motion at the capsule or changes the arthrokinematics i haven't seen anything to really point towards that so far
1: no, I don't think there's any robust evidence that will say it does those things that are often claimed. But as you said, it may be doing other things uh, that gives people the the feelings of things feeling different. And that that's a good point as well, is that, you know, we don't say that these things don't help people. They do, but perhaps just not through the mechanisms that are being explained to people. So, you know, we don't want to say that wrapping a strap around somebody's elbow when they've got tennis elbow and giving them these so-called lateral glides, you know, doesn't reduce their pain as they grip and squeeze things. Because I know it does. I've done it quite a lot. In fact, it's probably one of the most successful Mobilizations with movements, one of the most successful sort of banded, yeah. belted type of uh, applications that I think we use. And it does help lateral elbow pain quite a lot. It's just unknown as to fucking. <laughs> how it does it, you know, is it, is it the compression has been said of the fat and the tissue around the lateral elbow that creates maybe a little bit of a noxious stimulus or DNIC or something else who fucking knows, but I don't think it actually laterally guides an elbow joint significantly. Or
0: or even just someone with their hands on me being close, you know, the whole context or the, the theater of it, Mm. you know, you know, are these things quite elaborate, placebos if that you know or, or not placebos you know i maybe context isn't a placebo effect because it isn't inert you know this is an actual contextual effect um but there's certainly theater to it isn't there and where you have theater you probably have some type of effect from that theater uh, and the whole bands and the positioning and the spec story and everything probably provides a reasonable amount of theater doesn't it but Absolutely. as you pointed out you know, there's some good research. I think Bill, our good friend Bill Vincenzino has done some research here. People like Toby Hall, etc., have done some re- uh, pretty good research to show that, you know, things like MWMs, which use the kind of belts and the bands, do have an effect on pain. Um, Just why why that happens is the question in question.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And as we always try to impart to our BC beers, it's all about trying to remain... Skeptical, yet curious, open-minded, but not so open-minded that your brain falls out completely. Yeah, yeah.
0: And I'm sure there are people within those like Mulligan type of... um you know, systems and teachings who would absolutely say the same thing. That that Really? Can
1: you point them out to me? Because I haven't met Oh anyone. Well,
0: no, but I mean, I'm sure someone's got to consider a, a kind of a neurophysiological effect, haven't
1: they? I'm sure they've considered it, whether they actually admit it and express it openly. Okay. I'm, I, I don't know if I'm being too critical or it's just the mulligan people that I interact with, but it's a bit of a dogmatic cult, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, OK, fair enough. I mean, um I can't say... That I've interacted with too many of them. Um, I think I've probably upset a few of them over the years. I don't think that's... <laughs> I can yeah. guarantee I definitely have. Yeah, well, well, I mean, there's most people you've upset. But at the end of the day, um, I, it must have been a discussion internally. You know, I think if, if all of the Mackenzies and the Maitlands and all these other systems have discussed
1: it, I don't see why. You know, you'd have to be pretty short-sighted not to. Yeah, well, again, sometimes what's that saying about, you know everybody in large groups all thinking the same never trust them or never be aware of them and i think that's the trouble with these sort of associations and groups they all tend to have very similar thoughts and they end up getting them reinforced and they end up going around in circles and they don't start to express or see other alternative hypotheses but...
0: yeah, well i think then what also happens is that people that don't agree leave the group or they exactly precise exactly and, you know so I, I mean i don't know but i'm totally ignorant of the internal workings of the um communities if i'm being honest so i wouldn't like to uh, no judgment
1: me me too because i don't belong to any of those fucking no.
0: groups but I, I but i would be enormously surprised if no one has ever mentioned the idea that there could be a non-mechanical rationale yeah and then they probably get thrown out the top floor window and they're never heard of again <laughs> what with no bell <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> but there you yeah. go it's a really good question. where's your mobilization with movement yeah yeah exactly yeah all the all the, mo- all the movement none of the mobilization there you go good stuff and we've got uh so thank you for that caitlin and you win a prize for the word accoutrement
1: is it's, it's a word that's not used more more uh enough in my opinion great word there we go. There we go.
0: Um, and the last one what we're going to do today is from good old Bob Hessel um, and really interesting question. He actually uh, raised here um, and he is talking about experience guiding someone who wants to continue training during fasting and Ramadan. Um, and I actually think this has implications for non-religious communities as well with fighting communities who have to fast and, and stuff like that. But um, do you, have you you had any personal experience of this? Um,
1: I wouldn't say I have coached or trained anybody whilst they are going through uh, fasting or Ramadan. Um, But I have been with somebody who was coaching and training me whilst they were fasting. So that was a sort of a third party experience of looking at it from the other side, but well I say coaching me he was he was my tour guide when I was in the Atlas mountains in Morocco. And I, was, okay. I was walking around there during Ramadan and uh, as I say he was uh, following it and fasting and uh, was ex- you know doing all the hiking and the walking that I was and I was absolutely hanging out my ass you know yeah. and so God knows how he was feeling, but he seemed to have obviously, you know, had some experience of uh, fasting and Ramadan before because he was a middle aged man. But he he was taking it in stride, which I was just in awe of. Let's put it like that. Absolutely amazing ability to be able to do what he was doing with uh, no water or food during the daylight hours.
0: Yeah. So I um, was working with a young Pakistani lad maybe about 20 years ago. Um, and the one thing that I do remember, because I think I was working with him over a couple of years. And the one thing that I do remember was that the time of Ramadan changed. So sometimes it's earlier in the year and sometimes it's later in the year. And I think that probably has quite a big effect, because if you get Ramadan in the summer, the daylight hours are so much longer that it must be really, really difficult. Um, and that was the discussion I remember having with this, with this uh, young lad. And um, I think we maybe were doing this in like April or something like that. And Ramadan was quite early that year. Um, and it, he said to me, this is much easier when it's now. The real tricky time is when you do it much later in the year and you've got more daylight hours. What I remember was that obviously you can, you have to wait for for a certain time to break the fast. And obviously, I think the hardest thing is not the eating as well, it's the drinking. Yeah, that's the key, um, is it? And one of the things that he said that he could do was you, you are allowed to wet your mouth, if that makes sense, but not drink water. And if I've got that wrong, I do apologize for being insensitive and not remembering that correctly. But I'm, I remember him doing that. But, of course, I think the implication is what time of day do you train? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do you try to make it as early in the morning as possible, so closest to when you've eaten, Um, do you maybe think about doing it in the evening after you can eat if it's um, enough but I think the real key is probably you know just finding out uh, in that month it's kind of around a month isn't it as I remember Ramadan Yeah. 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 yeah and I think it's probably finding what works for that person a little bit and you know, I probably wouldn't expect people to be hitting personal bests during that kind of time, you know?
1: Absolutely. I mean, the whole point of the the process of Ramadan is to suffer, is to be able to, you know, experience hardships because it's something that, I say, makes you appreciate your life and appreciate the good things you've got in it so it is going to be hard and tough and it is going to cause suffering that's the whole point of it but you know for me from a personal point of view when it comes to training if i was following you know that process of not drinking or eating during daylight hours i don't know which time of day i would prefer would i prefer to train first thing and then get myself dehydrated and famished and then have to last the rest of the day like that or would i rather keep myself going for as long as possible and then train at the end when i'm knackered to try and see if it if i can so i i think personally i would probably like to do it towards the end of the fast i would prefer okay. to train that way rather than first thing because i reckon that must make you feel awful for the rest of the fucking day yeah
0: yeah Yeah, and I I suppose this is, I mean, the key to this really is not applying too much of your own opinions here. No, I guess not. No, the the key is probably to, you know, this is really
1: probably
0: a a, a patient-centred or a person-centred shared decision-making,
1: isn't it? What was your guy doing? How was he managing it? In what sense? When was he training? What was he doing? And what was his schedule? So
0: I remember him coming to see me in the evening after his work. Okay. I, I remember it quite vividly. Um but I also remember it being quite dark in the evenings as well. Um, so i I, I think it was probably a better time. Um, I think he used to prefer training and then breaking fast. I think yeah. that would seem to work for him. So yeah. so doing that and then going home and 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 then you you get to break fast at whatever time is that and it and that obviously changes a little bit doesn't it as the month goes on. Yeah, I
1: think that's a better way for me than doing it because again it just it means you you're a bit more motivated even though you're feeling like shit to get get shit done because you know you've got a reward at the end, you know that you can then yeah. drink and fuel yourself after you've completely drained yourself dry. So I think that would be a a better way around of doing it physically and psychologically.
0: Yeah, and I suppose you know, uh wh- we would, but I, I think we'd probably both have to admit to being. We we are just answering a question. Yeah.
1: We've got no personal experience of what it feels 100%. like to do this. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. So,
0: if anyone wants to completely disregard our opinion on this, yeah. I think that's probably be yeah. mostly the best thing to do. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, so you know, this is a, a case where I have an opinion. Whether that opinion is very valid or not is a completely different question.
1: Well, I, I've done food fasting. I've done. I used to do intermittent fasting, where I'd have two days a week, twenty-four hours without any food, and I still used to train on those days. Um, but I, I, I wouldn't be able to go without water. I don't think that would be uh, that would be really tough. But you no, know, on those fasting days, I definitely trained at the end. So I had the reward to be able to eat uh, uh, directly afterwards. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I was also bringing up, uh, I did bring up at the beginning, I've worked with a few fighters of and you know, having to make weight in that last week. And sometimes people really have to kind of boil themselves down, no water for 36, 24 hours before. And it is, and, you know, and then have to fight. And um, at, these things really, really do have a huge effect on the body. Um, so, I think, you know, it is important that your expectations are never quite too high um, in these situations, you know. (laughs) I think everyone has to think, you know, it's not, it's definitely not an ideal training situation, so I don't think the outcomes are going
1: to be ideal. Uh, Might be a good topic for us to have a little look into, I think, maybe in the future on the BCB, maybe get some guests on that have got some experience of training in fasted states and uh, talk us about the physiology of it and also perhaps, you know, how to best work around and manage it. That might be a nice topic for our BC beers. Yeah, absolutely,
0: and we we're always open to new ideas and new topics. We're going to run out of like pathologies at some point, aren't we? Are we Maybe to-
1: I don't know. There's quite there's quite a few hundred of them. Yeah, I don't think we've quite got close, but we are, we are beginning to sort of scratch our heads when we're planning stuff, thinking, no, we've already done that. We've already done that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. So, um, so yeah, and that kind of ties into Kieran's question there, doesn't it? So running out of big topics, he asked us as well, yeah. and yeah. yes, you know, there, I, I think that's always the challenge of running of running any business isn't it is that you have to be able to uh, to keep it fresh and keep it current and those kind of things are we running out of big topics i think there's still a lot of big topics it's just we need to make sure that we are aware of them all because maybe they're not all related to body parts, and exactly. maybe that's another place to go. Yeah, I think
1: that there's more definitely more meat on the bones in the non pathology type of topics around life as a physiotherapist and healthcare and professionals in general. So, rather than just pathologies, yeah, I think there's a lot of big topics still left for us to discuss. Yes, exactly. So
0: lots of things, but maybe we can uh, maybe we can get our uh, our uh, our wonderful BCP members to help us out and uh, start bounce, giving us some ideas uh, that they have. Because obviously we're only two tiny little pea heads. Maybe we could get the collective wisdom of the BCP as working.
1: Yeah, the, congl- the conglomerate that is the BCP and the combined wisdom and experience definitely uh, is something for us to tap into rather than just our two little brain cells trying to rub together, yeah. creating some friction every now and again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We need the hive mind, don't we? Absolutely. Yeah. There you go. Good stuff. All right, people, hopefully that's been a useful, thoughtful Thursday for you. Thanks again uh, to everybody that sent us the questions. Sorry if we didn't get to answer your questions. Uh, I know John and Ivan sent us a couple this month, and we haven't been able to answer those. But hopefully we'll get to those at some other time or not, as the case may be. And obviously, if you're listening to this as a podcast and you're not a BCP member, I just want to reiterate and mention, first of all, why the fuck not? why aren't you joining the BCP? Why aren't you coming to join the fastest growing online educational platform (laughs) out there for all musculoskeletal therapists? That's only going to cost you £12 a month with no commitments or contracts. Come and go as much as you leave and learn from us and the conglomerate of the hive mind of the BCP. You're mad if you're not. So just head on over to the com and sign up. And we would love to see you join our team and the project itself. But to everybody else who is watching this as a BCP member, as always, thanks for your support and those questions. And we'll catch you next month. Adios
0: amigos. Thank you for listening to the BCP podcast. If you would like to check out the BCP, please go to www.betterclinicianproject.com. There, we have literally hundreds of videos on clinical topics, exercise examples for rehabilitation and research reviews alongside features such as Thoughtful
1: Thursday. And please tune in again.